We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 182. This episode right here is one of the main reasons why I started the Equestrian Podcast, to talk about areas of our industry that aren't talked about enough. Our guest today recently started the We Ride Together campaign, which highlights the much-needed awareness and education campaign about sexual abuse and misconduct in equestrian sport, based on her family's own experience. We Ride Together partners with the Horse Network and has been sweeping the nation, raising awareness, and coming out with a series of PSAs of in-depth stories of different individuals within equestrian sport who have experienced sexual abuse and misconduct. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Carrie Caring. Hi, Carrie. Hi, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. Good. Thank Uh, you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I just have to tell you, I listened to the Sydney Collier interview and I just have to say, everybody should listen to that interview. Uh, I mean, that is- She's amazing. She's amazing. And that's, you know, her thinking about the horses and, you know, all that these animals have done for her and this sport. And uh, she's amazing, you know, the whole thing. I hope, I hope everybody listens to it. I was really, really blown away by it. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time. I think that this will also be a similar situation where a lot of people will really enjoy your episode and have so much to get out of it, even just understanding a part of the industry, whether they have experienced it personally or know of someone or, um, or you know, just opening their eyes to some realities of our world. So I would love to first hear about how you, your family, um, your daughter, Maggie, how you first kind of found yourselves in the equestrian world. So when my girls were four and seven, they just talked about horses. They just, that was it. They just wanted to ride. And so we started lessons and then, you know, that quickly turned into a, you know, little $4,000 pony named Marshmallow that we actually still own that has since been leased out to so many little, little, you know, teeny tinies. And you know, that eventually grew into, you know, it became our whole life, right? This, this world. And um, and it's such a wonderful world. And, you know, I would say my, my, my children's entire childhood and my, you know, entire time raising them, a large part of it was spent, you know, driving up and down the West Coast horse shows, staying in, you know, horse show hotels, you know? And I mean, every strong memory I have with my girls is, is, you know, you know, somehow related to, you know, driving up and down the I-5 grapevine, you know, listening to, you know, Taylor Swift from the time they were tiny to, you know, even just a couple weeks home, a couple weeks ago, driving my, um, my youngest daughter and uh, one or two of her friends home with us. And it just like the whole time I was like, Gosh, we were still listening to some of the songs we were listening to, you know, 10 years ago. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's really every strong memory. It's, it's very much who our family is and, and what our life is, is, is this, this world. Amazing. Yeah. 
Tell me a little bit about as Maggie was growing up and kind of figuring out what she wants to do within the industry. Obviously, she um, very quickly went from, you know, her first pony to doing riding in like a, in a more significant way. So tell me a little bit about that progression and then would love for you to share as much as you are willing to a little bit about your experience and, and Maggie's story. Well, Maggie was always, you know, 150% in, you know, from the time Maggie was seven, she's like, I want to go to the Olympics for show jumping. And we're like, okay, you know, and it never waned. And, you know, it was, it was her everything. And so when she was right, I want to say kind of the end of seventh grade, she decided she wanted to, you know, we'd met, you know, Rich and Shelly uh, over the years, we bought a couple horses from them. And she decided, you know, she wanted to go up to Oregon to train with them. And so I traveled up there extensively with her. And, you know, she was still she was still going to school in California, but it was public school. And they were very understanding <laughs> about the fact that she was gone so much. And then Eventually, she started doing online school and, you know, primarily being, you know, we got a studio apartment up there. We were up there all the time, really close to the family. And, and then, you know, kind of late 16, early 17, when COVID hit, she was up there on her own a bit. We were on lockdown in Northern California and she opted to stay up there. But again, we, we weren't, it, it, it sounds Unless, you know, if you don't have a kid in a high intensity program, it sounds crazy. But if you do it, people do this in all sports. Mm -hmm. And she was so intense and focused and happy. And we were comfortable with it. And, but anyway, somehow a grooming situation developed. And, you know, that uh, turned into a, you know, horrific sexual misconduct situation that compromised Maggie yeah, very, you know, and compromised everybody. I mean, what this situation does just destroys people and families and everybody who loves them. I mean, everybody, as we were going through this, these people in our lives who love our family, like what they said, it destroyed them just watching how much it was destroying us. And, you know, it, it just destroys everybody. So the situation came to light when she was in Michigan and I went and brought her home. And I, we, this, you know, again, this sounds outrageous, especially to people not in the horse industry, but we flew her horses home because I was so, she was suicidal and, you know, she'd gone from, it was, it was, it was horrific because grooming you know, for a developing child or developing young adult's brain, what that does is that person becomes the strongest voice in your head and in your heart. And that is the person who has, you know, spent the past four years basically helping you to, you know, develop in your sport, but they, you know, been the largest influence in your life. And so when everything blew up, you know, people explained to me, you know, it's like losing, you know, your heart and your soul and your brain and your arm and your leg. And so anyways, she was, and I think that's something that can't be understated uh, is what this does to, to, to young adults and, and how many, how many of them are in these situations or some form of sexual misconduct with, you know, somebody, you know, 
older in the industry. In many cases, they're trainers. And, and so we flew the horses home with her because I didn't want her a day. That's how we kept her going. We kept her every day. She, for three months, we had the horses close to our house at a, a friend's private barn. And she, you know, they, they weren't in training. They were just, she had to, you know, they were, she had, they had to be ridden every day. They had to be, you know, they had to see the farrier, they had to see the vet, you know, they had to get their dentals done. Like we just put her, that was it. That's what she had to do. And that's how we kept her moving forward every day. And then eventually she wanted to get off the West coast. So uh, we, we sent her back East and, you know, that was incredibly hard. So many friends that she had some really wonderful people surrounding her back there, which we got really lucky with. And, um, and then she got comfortable with safe sporting him and then going to law enforcement in, in February and in March. And, and that was really, it's really, that was really just an awful, awful, awful period. But it ultimately, I think just being so open and honest and talking about what happened so straightforwardly, I think not only, you know, helped her, it helped our whole family and it, you know, and then I think it started helping so many other people because people started reaching back to us to say, talk about their experiences that they'd never addressed and what hearing about this was, was doing for them in a intense, hard, scary way, but also a good way of understanding that, wait, this, this happens. And this happens to a lot of young adults and um, especially in you know, individual sports. And uh, I mean, the numbers are shocking, you know, when you, when you hear, you know, it's estimated that 40 to 50% of all, you know, children in, you know, high achieving individual sports experience some form of sexual misconduct prior to their 18th birthdays. And uh, we need to stop that. Tell me a little bit about that time, because obviously as a mother and uh, with a, you know, a child being far away from home doing this and you, you know, were so excited for her and, and being a part of the industry that is especially at the higher levels, like that's very normal for that process to occur with, you know, the, the kid going off and showing and that the schedule is so rigorous and like that all, you know, makes sense. And obviously you didn't see any signs that would have been red flags because obviously you, you know, you would have, if you would have picked up on something, it wouldn't have necessarily. Well, we, were, we were so close to the family. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to spot red flags sure. when you're, you know, when you're that close because right. there was such a level of, of trust and care and, right. and, and concern with, and we were very entwined. Right. And I think that's what I would, I think that's what I'm getting to like the, the, like the sneakiness of grooming is just, it's, it, it's almost just like undetectable to both outside and the, the person who is, you know, very personally involved in the misconduct that it just probably so much of it just seems so normal because it was these tiny little things over a yes. long period of time. Yes. So much of it seems so normal when you are 
so close to these people and, and you care for them so much. So much of it does just seem so normal. Mm-hmm. When you had her back at home after everything had unraveled, what was the thing that you feel like really got her to a healthy mental state or working towards that healthier state again? So that took, you know, I mean, months, six, eight, nine months. I think a number of things. I think the horses are what kept her alive because there was nobody else, you know, I think she felt this huge obligation to her animals. Totally. Um, And I think that helped. I think, you know, we got her off the West coast and we sent her to the East coast on her own. And that was, you know, in, in, in equal parts, horrifying and, and, and the right thing to do. We got very lucky in the people that, that, you know, that we had her surrounded with there. They were wonderful to her, even without knowing the situation, because we couldn't tell them. Um, nobody knew right. because, you know, because she wasn't ready for it to come out yet. And so, you know, that was, I am um, eternally grateful to those people, you know, in our life at that time on the West Coast, uh, the East Coast. And my husband and I went back there frequently and that, that was very hard, but that was good. And then I think once she kind of right before she safe sported him, she, you know, kind of something just finally flipped in her brain and she started to be able to, she was far enough away from it that she started to be able to recognize, you know, what had happened. Mm-hmm. And, and then she safe sported him. And I, I, and I think that was immediately after it was very, very hard and all the law enforcement stuff would happen. Mm-hmm. Like, and the weeks following that was, I mean, just beyond atrocious, but I think kind of all those things, I, I, I kind of describe it to people is if you have this horrible infected scab and you kind of have to slowly scrape off the scab and then you have to pour in, you know, hydrogen peroxide or alcohol or, you know, betadine <laughs> if we're at the barn and, you know, then slather it in neosporin and, and, and kind of let it heal. And then it just becomes a, a scar as opposed to a horrifying festering scab that you can infection that you can never get rid of. And so I think kind of that's where it all kind of started to, she started to get better after that. But the coming forward was incredibly hard. And and we can talk more about this, not just because it's so hard for any young person to do that. I mean, it's insurmountable, but, but also the, the hate, the hate she got on Facebook and, you know, social media and, you know, calling her a liar and telling her she was going to ruin somebody's life. And, and if you, in fact, there's on the We Ride Together Instagram, there's a, a, a like a video a TikTok that she made at one point that I went and found on her TikTok. And I, you know, asked her if we could put it on the Instagram because it it's actually just her, you know, showing, standing there, showing all the horrific comments saying, I wonder why more, you know, women don't come forward. And, and so that was, you know, horrifying and, and eye-opening for our family, but also the love that started pouring in was incredible, but more so than that, the, the women in the industry who started reaching out to us with their own wow. stories. And so I think all that is kind of when Maggie started, you know, when we all started to move forward, but, you know, especially 
Maggie. But again, when we talk about how hard this is, we, you look at what this does to a family, like what this does to, you know, her sisters. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just an exclusive thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Was there ever a moment in time where she um, lost her desire to be a part of the industry or were the horses really something that she still had, you know, the similar goals and hopes and dreams for? I think she didn't think about her goals and hopes and dreams for a bit in there because she was so busy trying to, you know, recover and, and, and want to want to find a way to want to stay alive. But I think the horses were always the the constant. I mean, even if even if her hopes and dreams had kind of been pushed to the side, she still was riding those horses every day, right? That was there was never ever, ever a time she wasn't riding those horses every day in that whatever, you know, almost year, I guess it's been over a year now, year and that was July. So year and a half or whatever. So that was always, the horses were always her constant. Like I always, everything. At what point, because then obviously you, your family created, we ride together, which has been such an amazing, uh, contribution to the industry and such an amazing addition. At what point did you and your family consider even doing that and feel like that's something that you could take? I I don't think we ever really thought about what it would be. I just mm-hmm. knew this was back when, you know, February, March, I, I, you know, seeing these how misguided the attitudes and the sports were around it. And I was, you know, had been hearing from all these women where I was like, oh my God, you know, this is insane and we need to fix this and we need to do something. And I've just been given, uh, you know, gasoline and matches because everything is so happening so publicly with my daughter. And, and so, and I had a lot of emotion, right? It just, and I didn't know, I just, I needed to, I needed to fix this. I needed to do something to fix it. So I started calling, I think PR people and, and just kind of randomly saying, I have this situation. I want to try to, you know, address the and <laughs> tr- deeply entrenched attitudes in horse sport, you know, and, you know, stop, you know, youth sexual misconduct from happening. Can you help me do this? And everybody was like, I have no idea how to help you do that. And um, I kind of talked to some horse show managers and they were wonderful. They, I, I want to just say how wonderful horse show managers have been. But again, they, you know, we're like, what do you want? You know, I nobody knew what to do. And so uh, somebody sent to me an article Carly Sparks from the Horse Network had written, and it was how to help victims of sexual abuse. And it said everything I wanted to Mm. say about like, hey, hey, everybody, look at these attitudes. Like we have this junior in high school and people were still standing up for him and justifying even when, even once kind of more was coming forward, people were like, well, it was consensual. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 whoa. If this was her math teacher, she's a junior in high school. In fact, arguably this relationship is much stronger than any relationship a kid has with a teacher for a year. This is a four-year ongoing, you know, prime everything. And we would be horrified, but yet in the, you know, in this world, we're like, and so, you know, and so then I, I called Carly and I because she did some incredible writing on the subject and it was it was addressing those things. And 
And she said, yeah, call Lauren Kay. And Lauren Kay is a publicist. And so Carly and Lauren and I got together and they're both amazing. But particularly Carly has, I think, spent a long time researching the subject and writing about the subject and knowing women, you know, and seeing women who have come through this. And so she was a wealth of, you know, content and knowledge and, and whatnot. And then at one point, uh, I don't remember if it was Lauren or Carly, somebody came up with the idea of let's do these PSAs. And I couldn't even really get my head around. I was in, I was still in just crazy bad shape with my gasoline and matches being like, just let's just do something. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so then we started working with Wrigley media who is it's, they're phenomenal. And I think a really, really, really interesting thing about developing this campaign. And I think it's, it's really good and it's really, really, really well done. And we're going to ultimately just try to reach it so far because it's so necessary and so important. And this campaign is so strong, but part of the reason it's so strong, which is so interesting in retrospect, most people come out of these situations and they bury it for years. And we were, we were coming through this situation. We were in the middle of it. We were having these horrible, I will say, uh, the Oregon state police were wonderful. The FBI was horrifying and, you know, getting this hate from people and this love, you know, all of these things every day was like another fire drill in our lives. Like every single, you know, I'd, I'd give my, I need to go take a nap sometimes. And I'd give my husband my phone for two hours. And I'd be like, okay, if these four people call answer. And like, I don't think I ever made it through a two hour nap. There was always an emergency. And, um, and so we do these, you know, biweekly meetings with Carly and Lauren and myself and the producers from Wrigley Media. And we would talk about what was in production, but I would also, I think kind of open every meeting saying like, okay, I have to tell you guys what happened the past few days because mm-hmm. it was so just insane and real and raw and, and, and so, so necessary to understand it in order to understand how to approach the uh, messaging in this campaign and how to approach the interviews and how to approach the cuts of the PSAs. And so the people producing the campaign and, and, and writing the content and developing it and doing the research and interviewing the participants and talking to Les Nichols have also been, in some respects, living through it with our family. And so they really understand what needs to be communicated and how it needs to come across. And I think that's part of the reason that this campaign is so strong and so powerful and has the ability to go so far and help so many. If you've been riding for a bit, chances are you have the blisters, saddle sores, and rubs on your feet and your heels to prove it. So Dreamers and Schemers has amazing boot socks that are not only super cute, but they have a lightly padded and moisture wicking footbed and flat seam toe to really protect those problem areas. But not only are Dreamers and Schemers socks a great way to express yourself in a subtle way, but they also have an amazing feature and that is the black cuff at the top of the sock to prevent any pattern peekaboo in the ring. The super fun colors and amazing quality also extends to the other Dreamers and Schemers products and those are the main Jane leather belts and leather spur straps. They literally carry any color and texture leather you can possibly think of with amazing reversible belts, I love the main Jane belts, and really heavy duty and fashionable spur straps. So to find out more information, head over to their website at dreamersandschemers.com, that's D-R-E-A-M-E-R-S, 
N-S-C-H-E-M-E-R-S.com. Thank you so much, dreamers and schemers. All right, let's head back to the episode. Give me a rundown of what, what the website looks like and what kind of like tools and things that people can expect to find when they visit We Ride Together. Well, I first want to want to say a few things. First of all, there aren't really any good tools or answers with somebody who has a minor who's not ready to talk about it other than a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Because I, I really think what I actually had no idea before we were in the situation, even with with any sort of sexual misconduct, if the uh, the victim, the person is under 18, they a counselor is not, it's not confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a mandatory reporter. And so, you know, you can't share with your doctor. You can't talk to your therapist. You can't, you can't get any help outside a lawyer. And um, we leaned so heavily on our lawyer for everything because mm-hmm. he had experience, probably more experience in this area than most therapists. And so I would say, let's be real, is, is there's not a lot of resources prior to somebody coming through this being 18. And I think that's huge travesty that needs to be addressed on a much greater level than anything, you know, that's, you know, I don't even know how to begin to address that. But the website has, so it, it talks about it, what the website does. The website is so well done. Thank you, Carly Sparks and the Horse Network. But it's, it's, it's very clear and it talks about what grooming is, different types of sexual misconduct, how to help somebody coming out of that situation, how to recognize it, what you can do to make your barn safer, you know, and who our partners are, which are all these horse show, you know, owners and organizers and, and uh, equestrian publications and, you know, standing behind this campaign and saying, wow, this is more than just a campaign. This needs to be something that we need to fundamentally educate ourselves on and, and change in our sport. And so, so I think the, uh, and the website has the PSAs on it. The website has stories. We have people reaching out to us all the time who say, I want to share my story for the first time. Can I share wow. it here? And, and so that's, that's been starting. And so I think the website is something I would hope every single person in this industry. And in fact, every single person with, children in youth sports reads and looks at and understands and, and, and tries to get a better, you know, feel and understanding. You know, we spend so much time talking about what's wrong with safe sport. You know, everybody has, say, I mean, right. You can't say the word safe sport without hearing. And I will say that 99% of those opinions are completely uneducated. Most people don't really understand how safe sport works and it works like very much like law enforcement. And so what, you know, safe sport does a lot of things, right. And I know there are a lot of things that need to get better in safe sport, but you know, the biggest issue is that law enforcement doesn't work for these cases. Right. And so it's hard for safe sport because you, people coming out of sexual misconduct cases and don't have the levels of evidence you need to provide. Right. And so it's, you know, it's a whole impossible thing and we can go down that road, but stepping back, what I want to say is what we're saying is we're spending all this time arguing about safe sport. Safe sport's there because we're not alleviating this problem. Let's look at the root of the problem. And and we're never going to be able to make safe sport totally unnecessary because 
it, it is there for so many good reasons and we don't want it to go away. But, but what we should be doing is trying to alleviate the heavy need for safe sport by our, our, you know, not just our actions and our conduct, but also, you know, our attitudes surrounding how we view what's acceptable. And uh, because again, trainers are teachers and these are our children and, and, and trainers are wonderful. I think I can't say that enough. Every single conversation I have people like you're vilifying trainers. I'm like, God, no. I mean, I, I call, you know, our trainers that, you know, who my younger daughter and I train with, I mean, they, she leaned fully on them this past year. And, you know, I, I mean, trainers are wonderful and, and, but we need to be giving the support to our trainers as well. And an expectation of how we're all, you know, treating each other in this industry, but conducting ourselves with the children and, and young adults in this industry, because everybody's okay with a lot of the behavior that goes on. And Again, we need to think about, well, if you saw this behavior in a corporate office or a classroom, what would happen? So let's, let's all just take a deep breath and, and, and remember why we're, we're here and alleviate the need for safe sport and work towards building our barns. We want this to be the safest, healthiest place. I mean, horses are everything. Horses are wonderful. These barns are everything. And this industry has, has resources. Why are we? Why aren't we addressing this issue? And in fact, why aren't we being the leaders in addressing this issue? There's, there's not a single person. I think if you ask almost any person, woman in horse sports, do you know somebody in this industry who, you know, experienced sexual misconduct, you know, prior to their 23rd birthday or whatever? I don't think there's anybody who doesn't know somebody. I mean, we all know it. We all know what's occurring and the numbers say it's occurring and the fact that I'm living, we're living through it and the, 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 the people reaching out to us, everything says it's occurring. Nobody, nobody doubts that any of this is true. So let's, let's fix it. Let's alleviate it. Let's, and, and we can't start to fix it until we can start to discuss it openly and comfortably. And, and this campaign is really opening the doors to doing that. And it gives people a platform to, to talk about it because you can, you can talk about the campaign as opposed to, you know, I, I was on the phone with yesterday with a woman who um, just, we just did our most recent PSA. And I think she was, you know, once it finally went out, I think she was thrilled and happy because she understands how much it's helping people. But I think she also had a little, like, I don't like this attention. I'm, you know, kind of an introvert, like, and I'm like, no, no, our family went through that with, with Maggie's PSA and Maggie's CBS interview. And so what, you, you know, the best thing you can do is deflect it. You talk about the campaign because that's really the direction we want people talking, not about the, salaci the salaciousness of mm -hmm. what happened and what is happening. But, you know, again, these are children, these are young adults and, and they're in, they're in our, our care. And when I say our care, I mean, our barns, our, our shows, our, you know, our, our backyard riding situations, our whatever it is. So let's, let's do everything in our power to, to alleviate this issue. And, and then I think another thing that where, you know, people keep saying, well, uh, you know, equestrians are worried that this campaign is giving, you know, giving horse sport a bad name. And we're like, well, no, no, no. I mean, again, if you look at, again, all youth sports, but especially all individual youth sports, we're going to branch this campaign out to all of them. Our last PSA, we're shooting for the end of October. We're working on 
having a multi-sport, multi-story campaign. And, you know, we haven't locked in for sure, but hopefully we have a, you know, a, some a former NFL player, a, you know, high, you know, world-class high diver, or, you know, a gymnast and everybody, you know, a little bit giving a glimpse into, yes, this is happening. This is happening all over. So let's make horse sports be the leader in, in alleviating this. So we know it's a problem. So, so let's, 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 let's lead it because nothing happened after the gymnast, Larry Nassar. That's, you kept expecting something like this to happen. Some huge campaign other than, oh my gosh, this horrible thing happened to hundreds of young women. And, 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 you know, I, nothing, everybody knows all of this is happening in these sports. But there, there's nothing like this out there. And it's so powerful and it's so necessary and it's so strong. And the fact that it comes out of the equestrian world, I hope people, equestrians will see as a very positive step forward to, you know, to make things better. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge point that you make with the idea of, I think, we get so stuck in our equestrian bubble sometimes. So being able to relate it and pull from other areas of the world and outside industries um, that, you know, just like, uh, and not like equating it to, to grooming, but just when we get complacent or just like used to or comfortable in our environment, you know, this is how things have always been. This is, how, you know, just kind of that language and that mentality that when you're looking at very similar situations outside of the industry, you're dealing with really significant, serious offenses and major consequences that, um, that we are not seeing in the equestrian world. So being able to pull some outside um, sources and outside experiences into the equestrian world, I think is going to be a huge way to move the needle to, for, for more people to one, feel confident talking about it, but also being able to, you know, start making those changes and, and seeing it for what it is. You know, we're fully already moving. And, and, in that these discussions when they first started, you know, back in kind of February, March before, you know, when we were first starting and we didn't really have a platform and we didn't, they were such uncomfortable conversations. Like the first time we asked somebody, you know, to be our partner, I actually, I'm not sure who the first partner was, but you know, I, the horse shows have just been like, for the most part, sign me up. Like I want to be a partner. I want to, you know, and Yousef, Yousef has been very supportive. We've had like Chronicle of the Horse, yes. like Horse yes. Nation, Plaid yes. Horse, Media, like Desert yeah. Horse Park. Like I yes. feel like I've seen it everywhere. Yes. And, and everybody's working together and, and that's incredible. And we, we want it to become, you know, we ride together. We want it to become a part of, you know, make this a part of what's embedded in the industry as opposed to these very outdated, misguided attitudes. And, you know, one of the things, uh, and I hope probably speaking before it's happening, but I'm shooting for this. One of the things we started talking to you stuff about, and we actually want to work with uh, Diane Langer on because she's done so much for developing youth programs is we want to put in like a, we ride together uh, metal class and, you know, look oh. to Diane and say like, how do we structure this so that people want to put their kids in it? And how do we fill it? What, what, what type of class would you like to see? And, and then get it, you know, carried at 
at the rated horse shows and, and have that be, again, it just makes it, you know, interwoven into the idea is keeping the barn, the healthiest place for a child to develop and to grow. And these are our next, that's how we build this industry, right? Is we make it healthier and better. And so, you know, and, 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 and having people understand it that way, rather than again, this horrendous, horrific feel of, oh my God, we can't talk about that. Make it more like, no, no, no. It's about, you know, it's about creating this wonderful environment. And I think, you know, I hope that happens. And I put in for, we're in the process of putting in it for 501c3 status because we've had a lot of people say like, how can we help? How can we yeah. help make this bigger and broader? And you know, that, that takes about 10 months right now, but, um, but we're in the process of doing that. So that's exciting. Definitely. For people to get more information on We Ride Together, where would you point them to? I would send them to weridetogether.today would be really the, the best, strongest source of information. We also have just, just launched our Instagram, which is We Ride Together. I think those are the two that you would have, you know, everything. Looking forward and you know, obviously I want this to also be a reminder or a resource for if someone is listening that has, you know, possibly experienced or know someone or, you know, has seen signs of this before within the industry. What are, as far as like knowledge that you try to give through We Ride Together, what are some signs or things, indicators that you look for um, in, in these types of misconducts that you, and, and then what would you say are the next practical steps, either being an outsider, seeing something or hearing something or something just doesn't feel right, or if you are personally involved in one of these sexual abuse or misconduct situations? So that's a very, very, very hard question to ask because, because every situation is different mm-hmm. and every person needs to handle their situation differently. And what I keep telling people, because I get so many calls from people and, and, and from people, from young women, from parents, is that you are basically coming out of these situations. You are, I describe it as walking a tightrope over hell and there's no map and there's no guidebook. And what is, you know, all the ways you think you'd handle it aren't, you're just doing what you need to do to keep the person you love who's gone through this moving forward and surviving. And so there's, there is, and that's what I find so frustrating is having come through this, you would think I would be a wealth of advice. Right. And, but I'm like, I don't, I just will tell you that it's, it's impossibly hard and it's, it's hard for the person in the situation to recognize the situation they're in. And it, again, it's, it's, that's an impossible question to answer it, which is why we need to address it before it begins. Right. And, and start talking about it because, you know, you, you don't have a map and what, what worked for our family and our situation 
wouldn't work for a different family in a different situation. I mean, everybody's, everybody needs to do things on their own time frame, And, and it's just, I mean, that's, that's the problem is that's an impossible question to answer. Therein lies the problem and therein why we have to educate and raise awareness and, you know, change our, modify our attitude, mm. understand it and, and do everything in our power to prevent it. I definitely think that's so true that if you can be a part of something like this, like we, we ride together where people who, where you were saying like before the situation is even presenting itself, just to have something in the back of their head that they have heard about or seen or heard other people's stories to kind of have that as a trigger versus going into a situation, never really knowing that this is not okay, not normal, out of the ordinary. And so I think, yeah, just in general, being able to raise an awareness for something that is so specific and case-by-case scenario. And endemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for sharing your story and opening up to us. Obviously, something that your family has experienced is being able to do the tough part of talking about it and voicing while you have experienced, I'm sure, loads of negativity. The positivity has, I'm sure, outweighed. And the fact that you have done so much already for the industry based on an extremely unfortunate situation and turning that into something that I mean, what we were talking about earlier is going to save people's lives is so incredible. So I applaud you for that. And I wish you all the best. No, it's been really, really, really incredible to be doing this. In fact, every day, Lauren and Carly, you know, something new will happen or somebody new will contact us or something will happen. And one of us will send each other texting like, this is, this is incredible. Like this momentum and, and what this campaign is doing for people. It's, it's incredible. So thank you so much for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.